Welcome to The Grid. I am your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and we'll be taking a 13 by 13 episode journey through every possible No Limit Hold'em hand, 169 hands in total, from aces to seven deuce offsuit. Each episode, I'll interview another top poker player or personality about their hand. Once a combo is taken, it's gone. So this podcast will become progressively more difficult as hands like ace-king are removed from the grid. Whether you spend hours poring over grids as you study poker, love to listen to hand history pods while grinding cash, or are just interested in absurd scavenger hunts, we're going to have some fun. You got the cards. Dealer, I'm feeling it hit me. Yeah, I got swagger. They see me, see me strutting. All sweating daggers. Believe it, I'm the real thing. But I gotta switch it on. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Poker Grid. Today, we have a very special guest, Mike Glick, aka Mike the Hat, who is definitely one of the best and most successful poker players you might not have heard of. He rose from cash games in the East Coast and now is a regular in the highest stakes at Bobby's Room. He only plays one tournament a year, the 50K Poker's Players Championship during the World Series of Poker. Um, so today, he's going to talk to me about a very exciting hand from Bobby's Room against a previous Grid guest, Chris Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, Jen. Uh, good to be here. Yeah, it's really fun to have you on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this hand? You you have selected Queen 9 suited. And tell us about where and when this hand took place. Yeah, Queen 9 of hearts, to be exact. Um, this hand took place earlier this year, I think in March. Um, it took place at Bellagio uh, in Bobby's room. It was the normal uh, Bobby's room mix game, which is usually like... Anywhere from like a 10 to 13 game mix. And this day it was 2,000, 4,000 limit. And the big blind games were stripped down to five, or excuse me, the big bet games were stripped down to 500, 1,000 with a 1,000 big blind ante. Okay, so can you explain that to people who don't play mixed games? So you're saying that when you played the big bet games, no limit hold'em, PLO, um, you, it was, it was, it's basically a 40 BB cap? Yeah, it's pretty standard practice in limit games to have a cap in the big bet games so that players can't lose their entire stack. It may not be good practice, but it is standard practice. And today it was a 40 BB cap, meaning everybody's effective stack was effectively 40,000, even though everybody was sitting with uh, significantly more than that on the table. And uh, in general, in the big bet games like PLO and No Limit and uh, No Limit Single Draw and five card pass that we play sometimes um people are pretty liberal liberal about uh getting caps in they're not it's not like a tournament where you're like protecting your stack you're you're just trying to push like small edges all the time so you're, you're playing caps fairly often and is the reason for that partly that if um if you didn't have this 40 big blind cap there would be no limit hold'em specialists who weren't as good at the other games but would still potentially make a profit because they could just wait for those big bet games and play with like really deep stacks. I think that the the point of the cap, I mean, we, we would encourage a no limit specialist to come play because he may be very, he or she may be very proficient at no limit, but there's 10 other games in the mix where they're going to be big losers. So no matter how good you are at one game, if you're not at least competent in all the games, you're, you're not going to be showing a profit. I think the real point of the cap is so that like, the old school limit players who, you know, don't really necessarily even want to play any big bet games. They can't just be put in really tough spots by uh, 
some people that are more proficient maybe in no limit or PLO. And uh, if they make a mistake, it's only for 40K as opposed to 200K or 300K or whatever they happen to be sitting with. 40K, only 40K. That's right. Seriously, though. Um, so this hand was against a fellow um, grid guest, Chris Kruk. And oh, what point in the session was it? And tell us a little bit about the context. Um, I don't recall specifically when in the session. I, I want to say it's somewhere just right in the middle. I had, I had played with Chris uh, a number of times, but he still at the time was one of the, the fresher faces to the Bobby's Room mix. It tends to be a lot of the the same players over and over and, I, and I've played thousands and thousands of hours with with most of the regulars in the game so yeah uh, I thought I'd pick this hand because it was it was kind of interesting and also it was with Chris who who did a, a, a really good interview with you earlier so I thought it'd be an interesting hand to, to, to share so how had Chris been playing up to this point good <laughs> I mean uh he, he's an excellent no limit player. Um, as my my scouting report on Chris was basically that he was a very good no limit player. He was newer to the other games, but certainly a very smart guy and trying hard and and doing what he thought was was best in all the games. And so at this point, you, um, you I guys are both obviously forty thousand dollars effective. And so what happened to the hand? Did you open it or was there action before no, you? It's kind of a funny hand. Um, the way it goes is. Uh, there's an under-the-gun open. And I'm going to leave players' names out because I don't know that people... It's not a tournament where, you know, you know, it's public information. I, I don't know that everybody wants to necessarily be put on blast that they're playing a high-stakes game. There's an under-the-gun open, and um, there's a, an early position call, and then there's a second early position call. Um, the open was to 2,500, which is pretty standard for this, for this structure. And I find myself on the button with the Queen-9 of hearts. And... It's important to realize that this is a no limit game, which is one of like 10 games in the mix. And it's not like a super tough no limit game. So it's important to like take that into consideration. Uh, I decide to call. You can make a case for calling. You can make a case for folding. You can make a case for, for three betting, for capping. You can make a case for all these things. But I think calling and trying to play in position with a hand that plays fairly okay is, is reasonable. So to, to recap, there's an early position open, there's two callers, and there's me on the button calling as well. So so there's already like uh, over 10K in the bot. Right. There's the blinds and the and the thousand Annie, and then there's the, the open and the three callers. So there's there's 10K plus plus the blinds and Annie. So now Chris Kruk to my immediate left in the small blind thinks for a minute and decides to cap it. So he puts in the 40, big blind folds, and the the opener also folds now the the first caller actually has a a lot of good hands in his range here because sometimes he will actually call uh in this position to try to induce a squeeze and like punish a squeeze you know he'll try to punish a squeezer uh, i don't know if chris is aware of this because chris hasn't played a ton of hands with this guy but he, his range the guy the first caller's range is actually a little stronger than usual here Anyway, he folds, the other guy folds, and now it's to me. Did the first guy um, tank fold, or was it a pretty easy decision? You know, I mean, it might have been a five or ten second, you know, disappointed fold. But it wasn't like a tank fold, no. So it, when it gets around to you, um, obviously you just fold because it's queen nine suited, right? I mean, come on. Well, not, not so obvious, Jen. <laughs> not so obvious. So why'd you pick this hand, man? <laughs> well, it's interesting because... There's a there's several factors at play. First of all, I'm getting like three to two, 
Uh, I have to call thirty-seven-five to win a little to win like fifty-two-five, I believe, or fifty-one-five maybe. So I'm getting a little worse than three to two. And so the question is, what is what is Chris' capping range here? Am I basically forty percent, a little you know, a little better than forty percent against his range? And the answer to that question is no, I'm not. But I don't think I'm that far off. And there's other benefits to calling here besides just that this one hand. If this was just like if I was playing online with you know eight players or seven players that I had never seen before and will never see again, then this is just a very clear fold. Like there's no there's no uh, dispute. Like I would have just snap folded and just moved on to the next hand. But I play you know thousands of hours with the same people over and over again and they're constantly adjusting to me and i'm constantly adjusting to them this is one of those hands where if you just call off your stack with queen nine suited uh it kind of sticks in people's minds and people are gonna gonna adjust to you and i guess i think one of the strengths of my game is is being able to make good adjustments and realizing what people when people are adjusting to me and how to counter that there's a couple players in the game who might think oh my god you know the hat's calling with everything, like I'm never going to bluff him. And in, in that case, you know, in future hands, maybe I can, I can overfold to a certain player correctly. So I'll be able to maybe save money in that instance. Or maybe other players, maybe Chris just thinks, wow, this guy's just a complete idiot. He's a limit player and uh, he's calling with Queen Nine. Like this, Mike the Hat's just an idiot. So maybe, maybe that could benefit me somewhere down the line too. I don't know. So yeah, I decided to call it off with the uh, with the Queen Nine of Hearts. Did you think for a while before calling, and you quickly calculated you needed about forty percent equity, and with Queen Nine of Hearts, you probably had closer to you know thirty five ish. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to do. Like, I don't know uh, Chris's exact range in this spot. I don't know if he has other sizings other than cap. I suspect he doesn't, but I don't know if he's like ever, you know, making it 12K in this spot, you know, with aces and kings and some other hands too. I, I just don't know. I suspect he's just, he's either calling, folding, or capping. But uh, so I don't know if he has other sizings. Yeah, if I found myself in there with Jack 10 off, I might have had to, to chuck that one. I mean, although it's, I mean, if you're going to call with Queen 9, I mean, you know, but Jack 10 off is probably, I probably wouldn't find myself in there with that hand too much anyway. But yeah, I don't think I thought for that long. I mean, when as soon as Chris capped it, uh, I was like, crap, I'm just going to have to fold my hand. I hope somebody else calls him so I can just fold peacefully. But once they started folding, <laughs> I was like, you know, this is definitely a fold, but like, there's other factors at play. I don't think I'm giving up that much by calling. I think, you know, if he has like a fairly wide range here, if he has like a 15, 20% hand range here, that, you know, I'm maybe like high 30% against that range. I need a little better than 40%. So I'm not giving away that much by calling. And, uh, it's just one of those hands that that, lead, that leaves an imprint in other people's minds, and I think it's okay to you know kind of advertise, especially when you're playing with the same people for hundreds and thousands of hours. So fascinating. I still have more questions about this. So basically, Queen Nine suited. If you're calling with Queen Nine suited, you were probably calling with your entire button range that originally flatted, because most well, hands are, most hands are actually going to be better than that. Like if you happen to have like deuces or threes. I don't think I would call with deuces. I don't think I would call with deuces and threes because. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but it's just so easy to be screwed with those hands. And I could be totally wrong about this. Maybe I should be calling with deuces and threes. I'd have to think about it more. But if somehow he just had like sixes or fives or something. Not that I, I don't know if he's doing it with these hands necessarily, but if he does, if he is, then then I find myself in like a really 
a really bad spot. Gotcha. No, that actually makes sense. That was another one of my questions. I was like, did you just put him on deuces through sixes? And then you're like, hey, queen nine suited. No, no. I mean, Chris is not a player where I'm like, oh, I I, I think he has fives. I'm going to call. Like, no, none of that. <laughs> you could have just <laughs> narrowed down to that one hand. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's just funny because... If, some, if you like open and somebody makes like a massive three bet um, all in, um, sometimes hands like queen nine suited and jack ten suited are like really good if you can narrow the range down to exactly right. deuces through fives. Yeah, yeah, I, hear, I see what you're saying. And honestly, that didn't even cross my mind. Uh, I was basically thinking this is a bad call, but just how bad is it? That was basically the thought that was going through my mind when I when I decided to make the call. I mean, there's some cutoff where if I'm, if I'm just giving away too much equity, like I'm just not going to make the call. But if I think it's close-ish, I'm taking a little bit the worst of it, then then I think it's 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 fine. It's not that bad. So let's break it down. So there's like a, almost 100K. Let's just like fudge it up to 100K in the pot. And you're probably losing like, what do you say, like 5% of that? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm losing a few bigs. Uh, I will. It was it was exactly, I think it was 51.5 or 52. I had to call 37.5 to win 52. So a little worse than three to two. And I think against his range, I'm probably in the 35 to 40%-ish ballpark. So giving away a few thousand by calling. But um, if I can make one good fold in the future, one good river fold or one good turn fold against one certain player because of this hand, that more than makes up for it. So, Mike, you have not done a lot of media in the past. This is one of your first podcasts. So is this like one big image um, podcast where, you know, you're showing people also that you're calling with Queen 9 suited hair? Yeah, well, it's, I don't mean to say that I'm just always calling with Queen 9 suited. You know, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. And I wouldn't even necessarily be in there with Queen Nine suited in the first place if not for the specific people that had entered the hand uh, in front of me. It's very situational, very player dependent and very, you know, situation dependent. And it's very different, again, from like if I was just playing online with a bunch of randoms or even if I was playing just a, a straight no limit game with, you know, a couple regulars, but then a couple like randoms. Like it's just it's just a very different dynamic in this in this game. What happened? What happened was uh, I called. Uh, we ran it twice, which is kind of standard operating procedure, and uh, we chopped it. I think I I might have flopped a nine or a queen on the first one, and and the second one I think he won with king high, and that was that. We both made a few bucks and 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 went about our business. <laughs> oh, so what did he have? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I didn't even say what he had. Um, he had king ten suited. Okay, so at least you were vindicated that he was relatively wide, right? I mean, you one of the reasons you made the call is that you, you assumed he was doing this with like some reasonably wide range of hands, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he could be doing it with 10-9 suited or 9-8 suited, and in which case I actually have him in bad shape. He could also be doing it with aces, in which case I'm screwed. But clearly, uh, he's doing it with weak hands. King-10 is probably near the bottom of his range, but I don't think he's doing it with King-10 every time. But uh, if he would have just turned over two jacks, I'd be like, well, I know he's going to have like a, a fairly wide range in this spot because he should. I mean, there's like 12,000 out there that he's just going to win like a decent amount of the time by capping it. And when he gets called, you know, he's going to he's going to have decent equity. So it's a totally reasonable cap for him as well. I think everybody kind of did what they should do. I should have folded, but uh, I didn't. He was in the small blind, right? He was in the small blind, yes. If he was in the big blind, how much would that have affected your decision? That would have definitely affected my decision. I mean, it would make me a little more likely to fold because it's a little cheaper for him to call. 
uh, so we could just call and take a flop more easily. I think it's it's similar, but I think it, that would make me slightly more inclined to fold if he was in the big blind. So is it important, a lot of times uh, people talk about how in private games or in high stakes cash games like we had Berkey on on, a, on the grid previously, that once in a while it's important to give up a little bit of equity to keep it, to stay in the game. And usually they mean like maybe making a pre-flop call or pre-flop open that you wouldn't normally make. Now this is not a private game at all, but do you agree with that ethos that sometimes you have to play a little looser to kind of enter certain types of games? Sure. I mean, definitely in the private game setting where where you kind of like want to get invited, you got to give a little action. You know, nobody wants to play with like a super tight player who's just basically squeezing pre and just making money that way. Like that's just that, that's a profitable way to play, but it's not going to get you invited back to the game. For a public game like uh, like this mixed game at Bellagio, you're not advertising necessarily for that purpose you're advertising because well you, you want people to play with you if people perceive you as a tough player but they say oh well he's a tough player but he did this really stupid thing here maybe he's not so tough so maybe i'll give him more action maybe i'll play with him more so for those types of reasons i think it can be beneficial and yeah it's just generally good to advertise it if you're gonna lean one way i think it's better to lean looser and more action than than tighter and more nitty just just for the game's sake for everybody, you, you know, it's just good. It's just good to get people gambling. I think there's lots of benefits to it. If you were just playing this hand online for pure profit, what do you think your calling range should be? If I found my ha- myself in this situation online, I mean, Queen 9, I think, is just a f- it's just not strong enough of a hand. I think a lot of pocket pairs you would call with, except for like the smallest pocket pairs, I think like good ace highs you call with, clearly yeah maybe like like king queens and stuff but the thing is i'm not gonna have like the king queen suited in this spot too often because i might i might be three betting myself although not necessarily so like a king queen suited type of hand that really does dominate some of his squeezes um what was the reaction at the table after you showed your queen nine suited i got some laughs I got chastised by a few players. One guy folded queen jack suited. One guy folded king queen. So it, it's pretty funny. But actually, it's funny. After the game, one of the players who was in the game, uh, <laughs> he took me aside. He's like, he's like, uh, I asked my buddy, who's like a no limit specialist. Uh, he's like, he gave him the action. He said, what would you, what would you call with, in the hat spot? And the guy says to him, he says, well, I would call with a lot of hands here, to be honest. And then Opie. Oh, I just I just said his name. Okay, David Oppenheim says, uh, or David tells his friend, "Would you call with Queen Nine suited?" And his friend says, "No, no, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call with Queen Nine." Clearly, that left a little imprint for uh, for Dave. And uh, if if people want to think that I'm playing poorly, or if I am playing poorly, then then great. I also um, Chris told me that Gus Hansen also had some words about this hand. Interesting. I don't remember that, but um, it's definitely possible. Gus Gus has a lot to say about a lot of hands. <laughs> no, apparently he just said that he would have called very loosely, but queen jack suited, king jack suited plus that kind of that kind of loose, not a queen nine suited plus. But seriously, um, fun hands. It, it's interesting to me because, of course, normally tournament players study these forty big blind stacks quite a lot because that's a typical stack to find yourself in a tournament. Is there any tips you can give people? Besides calling it off with queen nine suited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not recommended for tournament play. Yeah. I mean, something that they should uh, watch out for or like sizings that maybe they need to think a little bit more about with the side, with the stack. Well, well, playing in this cash game versus playing like a 40 BB stack somewhere, you know, in the middle of a tournament are like two 
very different things because in the tournament, you know, you kind of want to protect your your stack a little bit. You're not just trying to get in there and gamble on a bunch of like 50-50 shots, especially if you have a perceived edge over the field. So in this cast game, you know, if you could if you could get it in 51-49, you're going to do it every time and, you know, just earn a little bit. But it's very different in a tournament where there's like you you are trying to protect your stack in, in some spots. And you're certainly like in a tournament you would, I mean, if you're going to call here with Queen-9 suited, I mean... <laughs> You're probably not going to be getting too deep in too many tournaments. Or if you are, you're going to get deep with a really big stack, <laughs> not 40 BP. So not a lesson for tournament players, but any lessons that, you know, you feel like you do notice from this stack size, like about sizings that people who don't normally play in like this cap might get wrong, stuff like that. Um, I mean, just like the, the standard kind of stuff, you're never getting amazing implied odds because the stacks are so short. So suited connectors and small pocket pairs and these kinds of hands go down in value and you know big cards kind of go up in value flopping a pair flopping top pair is good and you can like go with it a lot of the time whereas if you're sitting with 100 or 200 or 300 bbs in a cash game and you flop top pair you know if you get in if you get in 300 bbs with top pair you're probably not gonna be doing too well so certainly like hand strength flopping top pair and losing is kind of a bit of a cooler whereas if you're playing a lot deeper, you need to be more careful. Right. And you, you say this from experience of playing. Obviously, now you don't play really deep stack No Limit because it doesn't exist in these mixed games that you're playing. But at one time, you um, really, that was your bread and butter, right? Yeah, I started playing poker uh, when I was in college uh, online. And I was exclusively a No Limit Hold'em player. And then for the first few years of my live career, I played, I played No Limit Hold'em uh, exclusively. My No Limit Hold'em game may be a bit dated uh, because I switched over to, to playing Limit games, mixed games, but uh, I do have a No Limit background. So tell us a little bit about that. So you, you started out playing No Limit Hold'em in college and post-college, a big Borgata reg, um, and then you eventually moved West Coast, right, and played in LA for a while, and then um, eventually transitioned to mixed games. Um, did you gravitate towards them right away? Like, what do you like about mixed games? And was there any particular game that really kind of drew you into this like world of playing mix? Yeah, I moved from from Atlantic City to LA in 2007, I believe, and uh, I was pretty much playing exclusively No Limit Hold'em at the time. But then I started playing some Limit Hold'em. I guess that was like the gateway drug for me. And uh, Limit Hold'em is fun. It's a lot less. You don't have like big decisions like you do in No Limit. There's like less stress, but it's more of like a consistent, like you're in action all the time and it can be fun. And it was fun for me at the time. So I started playing Limit Hold'em and I had played some Omaha 8 or better uh, in Atlantic City. So uh, yeah, I, I had some experience with 08. I had some experience with Study, a little bit of experience. And, um, and I played Limit Hold'em. And so that was kind of the gateway for me. And just playing all the games just seemed like a good idea. It, it, it's fun. It's hard to be really good at all the games. So like, even if somebody's better than you at something, maybe you can be better at that than that person at something else. So it's it's just fun. It's you know playing one game all the time. You know, it kind of gets a little stale. And it's also good because if you're you know certainly if you're playing at the low or the mid stakes, you know, it's good to have variety. It's good to have like. Uh, you know, you go to the poker room and it's like, oh, I can play this game if that game looks good, if I can play that game. So it kind of gives you the ability to, to pick and choose your game and, and game select to what you think will be the most profitable for yourself. Which game do you think people should get started in? Uh, for the limit games? Yeah, if they're exclusively big bet players, no limit hold'em or, you know, no limit hold'em and PLO. 
I think we'll certainly like limit Hold'em would be like an easy start because it's very different than no limit Hold'em, but like the structure is the same, the betting structure. I think you need to learn uh, a stud game like that. It's mandatory. It's totally different than like the flop games. There's no community cards. And uh, I think starting with stud eight is actually the easiest, although I'm sure that's open for debate. I think stud eight is easiest because a lot of hands play themselves. And also it introduces you to like the high-low concept, which can be beneficial. The split pot concept, which exists in a lot of a lot of the mixed games. So I think limit hold'em and stud eight or 08 maybe. And and there's the draw games too, so probably triple draw. You're gonna you're gonna need to learn deuce of seven triple draw and learn that as well. That's interesting. I think that I did a Twitter poll on this when I had Jake Abdullah on and there was a lot of debate. It seemed like people were saying triple draw, 08, and limit hold'em. I didn't hear a lot of study, but I'm not sure if it made it into the poll. I think that, you know, one of the ideas of the grid is that there's a way that Nolo and Amanda Hold'em kind of really gets it claws into people because it's so it's so vast and there's so much to study, especially with all these new programs. So you can imagine that if people are playing a lot of poker, now they kind of have infinite things that they can study in No Limit Hold'em, like all the different ranges and all the different stack sizes that right. they might not make time to play and master the other limit games. Do you think that's the reason or is there something else going on? You know, there's not like an easy transition where you can just play. There's not like a straight triple draw game going at your local casino necessarily or a straight omaha high low game where you can just learn one game if you want to play mix you kind of have to play five or six or eight games that are foreign to you and maybe not at the stakes that you want to play them at if you want to learn maybe you're willing to learn and give away some money playing small but those mixed games just might not exist at small stakes I think in the casino, at least in Vegas, you might have like a 20-40 mixed game or maybe a 40-80 mixed game. There might be like an 80-160 or a 100-200. And then the next game is like 1,000-2,000 or 2,000-4,000. There's not that like middle ground. So I think that that's challenging for people. But I think overall mixed games are getting more popular. And I think a lot of No Limit players or PLO players want to kind of branch out. I think they are getting more popular, actually. Yeah, it does seem that way, but it do- also seems that No Limit Hold'em is surprisingly addictive, that people do like that kind of like intricate study, where instead of like fi- like b- improving quickly, they're just like kind of improving these like tiny things in their game little by little, and like building it up like kind of like a house. I find that interesting that like I think there is like a kind of human desire for that because you-, you have this base level competency, and then you're just trying to get a little bit better at all these different like elements of No Limit Hold'em. Right, right. You're trying to fine tune your game. Where I think in the limit games, there's a lot there. There's some gaping holes that a lot of players have, myself included, where, you know, there's just a lot of like misunderstood or less well understood situations in some of the games. Certainly in a lot of like multi-way situations gets a little unclear some of the time. So why are you called Mike the Hat, by the way? Well, because I almost always wear a hat is the easy answer. <laughs> the real reason is because back in the day, back when I was playing in Atlantic City, I used to wear this really beat up Phillies hat that was like hanging on by a few threads. It was just a really funky hat. And uh, somebody gave me the name Mike the Hat and it, and it stuck. I guess there's a lot of mics around, so <laughs> you need something to uh, differentiate yourself. So I love it. Stuck. Love it. I didn't know the story about the Phillies ad. I, I was hoping there was something there. But does that mean you're still a big Phillies sports fan, despite now living in Las Vegas? Yeah, I'm a big Eagles fan. Philadelphia Eagles. They're my number one love in sports. But I'm generally a Philly sports fan. And if one of the teams is doing well, I will always 
jump on the bandwagon. But the Eagles, uh, I, I live and die with the Eagles. Two years ago, two years ago was a good year. Ah, did you come for the parade? I wanted to. I wasn't able to, but I, I very much wanted to. Well, it's good to know that you're still a Philly guy at heart. So, I, you know, when I, when I talked to you last in St. Louis, you gave me some kind of more generic uh, but really good advice for poker players um, to try to like figure out whether they're winning or not and, you know, kind of take a step back and see, is this a good game for me? And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, can you expound on that? I think what we talked about was um, just how to know when you're good without just being completely results oriented. And I think for people that are starting out in poker or wondering if they might have a, a, a career in poker, I think the way the easiest way to tell if you're good enough to beat the games is if you can identify the mistakes that other people are making in your own games and know how to take advantage of those mistakes. So say you're playing one, two, no limit or two, five, no limit. And you know, you're not in the hand, but you're watching other people's hands and you're seeing how they play the hands. And then at showdown, you can see what they have. And if you go through the hand in your head and you're like, wow, like I would have never played that hand that way, like under any circumstances. And like, oh, wow, that's a mistake. Like, oh, he bet too much. Or why did he Why did he check the turn there? Why did he give him a free card? Or, or why didn't he bluff with that hand? Why did he give up so easily? Or, or whatever, whatever the situation is. If you can identify mistakes that other people are making, then you will ultimately do quite well. I guess the other thing would be uh, not going on tilt. I think that's the biggest thing that prevents a lot of people from, from being more successful at poker is their A game is, is fine, but they only play their A game a small percentage of the time and when they're when they're on their their lesson a game it, it, it really uh they might not have a b plus game they might have an a game and like a d game and uh, i think controlling your tilt controlling your emotions you know being able to get up from the table when you're not playing well regardless of if you're winning or losing in the game i think these are things that come with time and with uh experience and some people are more easily able to do that and some people uh aren't now for you, um, because I know a lot of your friends don't play in like the highest stakes. So what do you think it was about you that separated yourself? Was it that like untiltableness or just a desire to go higher? Why were you the one who ended up playing these biggest games? Definitely not untiltableness. I, I especially early on, I was very tiltable. I, that's why I would play like 48 hour sessions because I just try to get even, uh, which I no longer do. But I guess in general, people kind of, you know, will play as big as they can play so long as they're winning. And, uh, you know, I started out playing one, two, no limit and then graduated to two, five and five, 10. And then I did a little losing. So I went back to two, five for a bit and five, 10, 10, 25, 20, 40, et cetera. I think you, you just kind of rise to your level of competence and, uh, or your threshold for, for losing. Cause as the wins get bigger, the losses also get bigger. And some people just don't have the stomach to be able to to, to lose a, you know, a lot of money in any given session. So I think the risk tolerance combined with some level of ability, you know, just causes people to rise or fall. Right after I met you for the first time, you had an accident. You sprained your leg. Is that right? Or I had a Liz Frank sprain in my foot. When it happened, you told me that like you are somewhat accident prone and that something similar happened to you in Bobby's room involving Doyle Brunson. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, this was uh, a number of years ago. Uh, Doyle was getting up from the table, and uh, he's not the most sturdy guy in the world. He uses this crutch, and he was crutching from the table to his his scooter, and uh, he just kind of went down. And it's not funny. It's funny now looking back on it because he's okay, but he went down, and I was sitting in the five seat, 
and he kind of went down onto me and and squished my my rib cage into the table. And uh, Doyle's on the floor, and everybody rushes over to Doyle, asking him if he's okay. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there in my chair. I'm trying to I'm trying to catch my wind, <laughs> you know. Uh, nobody's caring about me at all. Yeah, Doyle Doyle got up and recovered, and he told me later that his only regret from that day was that he didn't hit me a little bit harder. So, <laughs> so thank you, Doyle. I appreciate that. Of course, when you won pots from him in the future, that's what he said. But you were okay. I was fine. I was fine, yes. Yeah, but there's Doyle, and then there's you, who, you know, you're in your early 30s, you know, fit. People aren't worried about you. <laughs> Be okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about the fit part, but <laughs> but the age was accurate, yeah. So to wrap up, um, Mike, uh, you mentioned some, some advice. You know, I think this is great advice because it's also a kind of reminder for people to pay attention, right? Like, are you winning in your game? Do you see mistakes that other people are making, whether you write it down or just kind of keep a mental note? Um, so those of you who listen to this podcast, um, if you think of a way, you know, better to play the queen nine suit at hand, does that mean that they're, you know, should, should you know, check out Bobby's room? Yeah, exactly. This is, this is more advertising we're doing right now, Jen. No, seriously. Seats open. <laughs> do, do you have a lot of newcomers, though, like just people who take a shot? Does it happen quite often or is it very rare? It's it's very rare, unfortunately. It's almost never. And if it is, what what country are those people usually from? Is it American, or usually it's from somewhere else? It could be anywhere, but we we might get like a true random like once a year. Like it's literally like that once or twice a year. But there will be a few fresh faces, but they're usually young people like Chris, for that matter, who are trying to win and are smart and good players. The true like random rich guy businessman who walks in to like an 11 game mix in bobby's room and is willing to lose like hundreds of thousands of dollars it's rare and when it does happen like you know the do the games kind of shift around like you might take out games if that person's not comfortable with those if a guy who nobody has ever seen before sits down with a lot of money, the players in the game are pretty much willing to accommodate him in every way possible. Got it. Got it. Now, looking back, since we've done a whole podcast on this, in retrospect, if this can comes up again, would you play it the same way? <laughs> well, there, there's a non-zero chance. It would actually be pretty funny if I did and showed down the queen nine. I <laughs> honestly, like, I'm not going to usually find myself in the spot. I'm usually going to play it differently pre- when it on I me mean, the first time, and usually I'm going to fold it if it gets back to me uh, capped, but not this time. Well, Mike, um, thanks so much for joining us. And usually I end the podcast by plugging the person's, you know, Twitter, website, Instagram, YouTube channel, um, or whatever else they might have. But with you, it's the elusive Mike the Hat, and you don't have a, a digital footprint. No, I'm, I'm off the grid. Except today except today i'm coming out <laughs> <laughs> and you clicked off the key hand um queen nine suited um but thanks so much uh, to mike the hat for joining us it was it was a really fun time thanks for having me jen i, I had fun thanks for listening to the pokergrid.com please subscribe review and tell your friends about your favorite episode if you want to support my projects consider a tax-deductible donation to us chess women we are working to even the mind sports playing field by bringing more women and girls into chats till next time as we count down 169 hands no one ever bust. they say i'm lucky oh no no need to bluff with all the cheap tricks up my sleeve Yeah, I got time